0: Um, and yesterday there was a release by ATLAS and CMS. So those are two detectors on at CERN, the, um, the projects that I work on. And so last December they had found, found or reported an excess of diphotons at the 750 GeV energy level. And uh, just yesterday they came out with a release saying that uh, it's not reflected in the 2016 data, so, basically, the idea here is that if there was still an excess, there would be a new particle, which would be huge. So, like, scale of magnitude of, like, the Higgs boson type deal. But that died. So, is sad.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you, you were building us up, too.
0: <laughs> yeah. It was, it was a really exciting six months, um, which also, there's a fun thing I looked up... Um, almost 700 papers written on something that now does not exist
1: gotta love science (laughs) yeah you are listening to expert citation episode five stem sexism and self-validation Welcome to Expert Citation, the science show where we talk about open access scientific journals. I am Joe Cuevas, the host of Expert Citation, I am a paleontologist, and I'm joined, as always, by my friends and co-hosts, Kelsey McCoy.
2: I am the resident biophysicist.
1: And Tyler Birch.
0: I'm the resident particle physicist? Yeah, that sounds right. Sure. Cool. We'll go with it.
1: Yeah. So, we've got two physicists and two biologists, and our, one of our biologists has a love affair with chemistry.
2: Because I we've got all pick the. A field, so, <laughs> I just went, What can I do that's at the intersection of all three things?
1: <laughs> and it seems to be working out. You're, you're a PhD candidate.
2: Yeah, you know, it works.
1: Yeah. Uh, so, today we've got a really interesting paper on how one decides to do STEM at university. Sort of? There's a lot of different things going on. It's a really interesting paper. Uh, I think it's going to lead to a really great discussion, but uh, we always start the show off by sort of checking in on what we've been doing uh, because this has actually been recorded on an irregular schedule. Again, because we can't schedule things because we're scientists. This has only actually been like three and a half days since we last recorded, so expect to, uh, expect a lot of Well, stuff's happening. It just doesn't sound like a lot. Uh, Who wants to start off?
2: I can start. Cool. Uh, So, yeah, this week um, didn't really get much better from the last time we talked about this. Uh, Finished up with some instrument time. Had some very ambiguous results that uh, looks like we're kind of going to be tabling some of the stuff that i've been working on recently for a while uh mostly just because um so it's like a tangential part of my project but it's also part of uh sort of a fifth year student in the labs project and she is about to go on maternity leave and then write Mm. her dissertation so that uh, happens if if we if she had more time, then yeah, we'd probably dig into some of this stuff a little bit more, but she has other things she needs to finish up before, you know, she goes on maternity leave. So, um, and I can pick it up, you know, later, but it's not necessarily the most important thing for me to be focusing on right now. So I'm kind of hopefully in the next week going to be transitioning to working on my sort of main project a little bit more, uh, tr- taking a stab at purifying my protein again. <laughs> um, so... A lot of biochemistry in my near future.
1: <laughs> so what was sort of the uh, rationale in that side project of both of your main projects, especially because she is so close to finishing, finishing her dissertation, and clearly it is of interest to both of you uh, research-wise, but it's not necessarily focused on the main idea of both of
3: your work?
2: Yeah, so it's, it's kind of a methods development side project okay. there. So I do um, solid state NMR of proteins. And generally speaking, this field is very in vitro. So you know, you do purified proteins. Uh, and obviously, that isn't necessarily the most biologically relevant way to do it. So we are working on uh, trying to develop in cell systems. And so this is a, something that was, you know, she's sort of developed the system that we're using, and I'm hopefully going to develop more of the application of it with my sort of the system that i'm interested in but uh right now it's kind of we had this uh experiment in mind and you know if it had gone well then you know we would have basically had a paper but it's gonna it looks like it's gonna require a lot more dedicated time to actually developing it and so uh we kind of need to maybe take a step back from that for the time being.
1: Yeah, but it makes a lot of uh, sense, like rationale wise, and you're attacking it from two different sorts of fronts of expertise. Mm -hmm. And it's just that the results weren't making sense at this point in time. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, that makes a lot lot of sense. Uh, It's unfortunate that you can't be doing that right now, but now you can focus on your things, so.
2: It's nice, (laughs) I actually do the research that I proposed.
0: Tyler, how have you been doing? I'm alive. So that's good. (laughs) It's better Uh, than the alternative. Yeah. I've been, uh, studying and crying and not sleeping and that's about it. Uh,
1: for those of you who don't know, Tyler is about to undergo his qualifying exams, uh, which we talked about in our first side episode with Kelsey. Uh, so he's getting ready for basically the biggest physics test ever.
0: Yeah. Uh, generally, uh, professors say that that's kind of the apex of your uh, physics knowledge the most you'll ever know about general physics and from then on it just gets more specialized and you lose you know the, the roundedness that you have at this point in your career um, my my tests are a week and a half out and it's four sections the first is classical mechanics second is electricity and magnetism third is quantum and fourth is uh, modern physics which encompasses thermodynamics um, Statistical mechanics, and then a slew of other things. Um, each of those sections are about two hours and 40 minutes, so um, I'll be taking 10 hours of tests, um, and that's in two weeks. So on two different days, but yeah. Fun. So, yeah, it's an adventure.
2: It sounds so horrible.
0: <laughs> it really is. Aside from close to death, how do you feel? Um,. It's it's up and down. Um day to day I feel very different. Um so like yesterday and the day before I was feeling pretty good. I was working on kind of random quantum problems and I was feeling good cuz I like kind of remembered how all these things worked. And then today I went back to E&M um and, <laughs> and got beat up by some waveguide problems. So I need to go back and relearn how to do some of those and just refresh my memory. Um there's just so many problems they could ask me in E and M, so I've got to be prepared for all of them. You you learn by doing for something like this, and so you're doing. Yeah.
2: Or so so for you, you said that uh, like you know if you pass say thermo or quantum, but don't pass E and M, then like next time you only have to take E and M, right? Like you don't have to yeah. take them all over again. Do you have a sense at this point of like maybe certain sections that you have a better or you feel better about or have a better chance of passing this time around?
0: Yeah. Uh, the last time I took it, I was only a few points shy of passing classical mechanics, and I don't think it should be all that much effort uh, for me to pass that one this time. Um, I would hope I do. I think you've got that one based on the discussions we've had. I'm assuming our listeners know what classical mechanics is, but it's basically like the physics of objects you interact with on an everyday basis. Um, so, like macroscopic objects. Um, it's intro and physics, a lot one. of the physics there. Yeah. Well, yeah. It's, it's but simple. Then, I
3: mean, it's not actually. Like, in, it's in pretty much,
0: in, in, like, basically everything
1: you're doing, Intro Physics 1 is a more boiled down version of
0: classical yeah. mechanics. It, it's about as specified as you can get, but, like, you generalize and generalize and generalize. So the problems are much harder and much more in-depth. Right. Um uh, obviously you would expect them to be at, you know, a doctoral level for this kind of test, but I have more of an intuitive sense of those problems and it's very easy for me to conceptualize because I'm I'm very good at conceptualizing uh the the science and physics behind things, but then when it comes to say quantum mechanics where you're dealing with single particles and potential steps and things like that, it's not something that I inherently visualize and that's where I kind of fall off. Um and you more have to rely on your math capability there and that's where i'm not as strong i'm better at the science than the math even though they kind of hand in hand so
1: right but it's uh it's different aspects of right, the exactly. whole
0: yeah yeah so we'll check back on you uh when you're done when
1: you're done dying i guess yeah no but uh in all seriousness uh i know you're going to do great on classical mechanics and wish you best of luck on everything else
0: hey thanks yeah yeah
1: uh I've been writing. Uh, and I actually do have some progress. I uh I submitted half of a dra- half of a draft of a section to uh to my co-author uh, for review. And that doesn't sound like a lot, but it's tangible writing.
2: Anything that you can get in the process of being, you know, reviewed by co-authors. Yeah. Is, you know, Nothing to uh, sneeze at. Yeah, because I've, I've been through that writing process and sometimes it takes forever for your co-authors to get back to or you just have to go back and forth and back and forth. So anything you can get to them is like actual progress.
1: Yeah. And the other part of this is that I know what parts are still lacking, at least generally, from that introduction. And so I know that I still need to do a, go back in the literature, pull even more things out. But I know, okay, so here's what I do have, and here's what I know I need. So further comments on what I've written so I can reframe that, and then I'll submit it with more stuff again. Writing is rewriting, guys. Writing is is simultaneously the best and worst part of science for me, because I love writing anything in general, but this means I need to back up my claims, which is fine. That's how you do science, but... You need to go dig through the literature sometimes. And And
2: the literature can be a black hole. Yes. Because there's always another paper, you know, from 1976 in an obscure European journal that is maybe relevant, probably.
1: Cool. So this week's paper is uh, out of PLOS One. PLOS does not stand for Public Library of Science. Now it just stands for PLOS. But it's one of the leading open access journals in the world. Uh, And... This article was published on July 13th, 2016. I just,
2: sorry, I just realized that PLOS One is a pun. Sorry. (laughs) Yeah, I just realized that. Uh, Okay, we can continue.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So this was published in July 13th, 2016 in PLOS One, which is the flagship of the uh, Public Library of Science family of journals. There's also PLOS Biology, PLOS Infectious Diseases, a couple of others uh plus one's the big one uh we used this journal before right in the first episode so it's a little more bio focused uh not everything in in it is bio but
2: it it, there's a lot of bio there's a lot of social science um there's some anthro like if you actually go and look at like the plus one main page of you know what their recent articles are
1: yeah i've got some i've gotten some pretty cool paleo out of this uh like they have some really fun paleo articles but uh, Plus is generally popery, but there's this slant towards uh, bi- bio and sociology and anthro, so it's there. Uh, this article is women 1.5 times more likely to leave STEM pipeline after calculus compared to men. Colon lack of mathematical confidence a potential culprit. No uh, diacritical marks. Uh, they know how is, to write
2: it. Yeah, they know how to write a, a headline, a title. Uh, title. Without, yeah. <laughs> without the uncertainty of last week's goodness yep
1: the ath- uh, the authors are jessica ellis bailey fosdick and chris rasmussen uh ellis and fosdick are from the colorado state university departments of math and statistics those are two different departments located in fort collins colorado and uh, Rasmussen is from San Diego State University's Department of Math and Statistics, that is one department, in sunny San Diego, California. Okay, so let's uh, let's dig into this paper. Uh, first impressions, just reading the title and reading the abstract, I guess.
2: Uh, I just want to make a note that, um, in case you are unaware, STEM, S-T-E-M, stands for Science, Technology, Engineering, and Math, and it's sort of a catch-all acronym for uh, sort of science and science adjacent fields yeah so, just a quick note
1: <laughs> like science engineering mathematics types majors yeah so us yeah yeah cool how that works Whoa. out. neat
2: <laughs> <laughs> but yeah my initial impressions uh i thought it was really interesting sort of abs uh, title and abstract uh it definitely caught my interest i definitely having a vested interest in women in stem being a woman in stem yeah uh I thought it was really interesting and I thought the way that they sort of quantified this we call the leaky pipeline of women leaving STEM as potentially being at least somewhat related to confidence and you know so your own conception of your mathematical abilities uh, to be really really interesting and it made me want to sort of dig into the paper itself.
0: I mean quick thoughts so I was the one who posted this paper to our uh, our Slack and Suggested we do it. Um, and I found it, I think, through uh, Twitter. I follow a lot of uh, physics channels. Science Twitter is a really and, cool thing, um, just in general, too.
2: Yeah, and I, I saw this paper pop yeah, up definitely. in some of my feeds recently, last week, too. So I think it was definitely kind of uh, going around.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And specifically in physics and math, there's a huge apparent disparity uh, between, you know, genders. And it's something that I was marginally aware of. And then I started following science Twitters and I kind of got more and more aware of it. So that's kind of what prompted me to put that in here is like, Hey, it's a relevant subject to something we're all, um, encountering right now. absolutely. It
1: uh, speaks to the climate, I guess. So I, I also thought this was a very interesting concept in general, uh, I go to a small private university in Southern California, which is majority female. So, like most of, oh, really? yeah, uh, I think uh, most of the people in my major are women. And if if it isn't most, then it's probably very close, uh, just because that's how the population of the school falls apart. Uh, uh, falls anyway.
2: You're also in sort of a bio-related um, absolutely major and that's... and. and... Sort of the natural sciences, or I shouldn't say that, the life sciences, bio- and bio-adjacent majors uh, um, have the most women and are often either at or close to to parity.
0: Absolutely. And is a prompting of that because of the ability to transition into medical school?
2: I mean, some of it is. I think that some of it has to do with just that it's... As a woman in science, or, you know, just as a a woman or as as anybody who's a member of sort of a marginalized community, regardless of what axis that's on, you definitely feel safer and more at home in in any sort of space or profession or major that, you know, you see yourself reflected in. So I think that some of it has to do with, you know, medical school and stuff like that, but some of it just has to do with the more women that are in a particular field, the more women that that's going to attract. You know, because yeah. you're always going to have sure. the sort of the people who are okay being the only girl in class. You know, and, are, and don't and you know love it enough that that's not going to be an issue for them. But that's not true for everybody. So there are also those people mm-hmm. who like do, do want to see do want to be in an environment where they don't have to deal with that. And so that's just going to attract more women, I think.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And uh, what you were saying about the field earlier is actually something uh, something that I thought was interesting when I read the title, because I, I am aware that my field is close to parity, but I also know that sort of begins to fall off once you start moving up to the, uh, to the professors. And part of that is because of the tenure system, but...
2: The classic uh, leaky pipeline problem.
1: Yeah, like the other... Part of it is in part due to tenure, but the other part is the leaky pipeline. And yeah,
0: so- I
2: mean... But- but even like in terms of tenure now in and so in bio you have 50 even at the phd level i mean you know close to 50% of bio phds are women but then it's, it falls off drastically to like 10% of tenure track hires uh, um and then you know it gets even smaller when you actually get past kind sort of the tenure um, part of it so yeah, there's definitely something there that, that mm-hmm you know, is causing women to leave um, academia.
1: And it's not necessarily restricted to uh, lower levels like this. So yeah, it's definitely no. an interesting problem that you can start to probe at starting from uh, from that transition from high school into college.
2: Yeah, definitely. Uh,
1: so the introduction provides a general overview as introductions do on, hey, STEM is science, technology, engineering, and maths. And here's generally what the education pipeline looks like for that again generally speaking so you've also got a little breakdown there on how many men, young men and young women intend to or intend to uh major in a STEM field wholeheartedly as opposed to um young men and women who uh intend to explore that field with a strong intention to major but not necessarily a uh, it, there's some distinction there between uh individuals who are 100% going in, and then individuals who switch. And I don't think that speaks to part of the issue here is the way it's outlined in the thing, which I'm not fully happy with because you can 100% intend to do something and then your plans just don't pan out for you, person.
2: Uh, yeah, and they do draw distinction between what they call the STMs, science, technology, and math people, and people who are intent just on engineering. And, and yeah. I think you know, we'll get to talk about in the methods that are in the and in the results that people who, regardless of gender, people who intend to go into engineering are much less likely to switch out of a STEM field. And that struck me as interesting because well, it wasn't clear to me whether that meant that people who intended on going into engineering, stayed in engineering or they just stayed in STEM because most people who drop off engineering end up in science. Yeah. I mean, I started as an engineering major, and and then decided I wanted to do engineering, and I ended up as a STEM major, like it's a science major, so, you know. know, But if you started in science, and you realize you don't, it's not for you, you're probably not going to then switch to engineering. You're going to leave STEM altogether. So there is, like, a distinction there that uh, is sort of worth mentioning. The
1: section tries to outline, there is this vested interest in science and technology and engineering and mathematics, Going in to uh, college and university for these young men and young women, and there are certain requirements that you need to fulfill mathematically in order to progress in those fields. And these vary institution to institution, but generally, it's uh, generally it's calculus one is your math requirement.
2: Yeah, yeah. at least the way they've constrained it here. And most and most, well, and, and most steps to programs are also required at least through the calculus two. Uh, um, yeah. because even if you want to go to medical school. Uh, um, more or more some other like professional, professional, uh, professional professional school, school. Generally, generally you still need Calculus 2, uh, even, uh, even if your, ma- your major doesn't require it. Doesn't require so, they're it. so they're using the, the transition calculus from calculus, calculus 1 to Calculus 2 as a metric for, for retention. retention.
1: Yeah, what do you guys think of that metric? I mean, I mean it, seems it seems
2: pretty, pretty, uh, uh, pretty decent. Um, I knew very, I knew very few uh, sort of STEM STEM-aligned stem stem people in, in college, college who didn't didn't Calculus 2. Uh, even if, there, even if, if, there, some, if some, of some of the bio, bio degrees, degrees didn't necessarily, necessarily require it, require but, it, but oftentimes, oftentimes then medical, medical schools required, required it. Required uh, it. Uh, so, so the vast, vast majority vast of the I knew, it, I knew uh, uh, did take, take it, it, even if they even weren't required, they were required to, to by the school, school, school itself.
1: itself. Was there a general sort of attitude you noticed uh, in taking Calculus 1 or Calculus 2 that differed from major to major? I don't,
2: I don't necessarily think so, because... The way it was set up in my school, at my university, was that there was no, like, you know, maybe there was in physics, say, there was different levels of intro physics. Like, there was intro physics for engineers, there was intro, there was general intro physics, and there's intro physics for, like, bio majors. But in calculus, everybody took the same calculus course. Unless you were taking an honors, everybody took the same calculus courses. So it was sort of you know, just something that everybody had to get through. And unless you were like maybe an engineer or a math major who had a lot of experience with calculus or really liked it, uh, it was just something that everybody had to get through.
1: Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. um, In my university, we have your uh, standard calculus one. We have your standard calculus two. We also have a survey of calculus for uh, individuals who are interested in calculus, but don't necessarily require a, calculus one class for their major so it's like uh for english majors who want to take calculus because they want to take calculus which is a thing apparently
2: i mean calculus is fun but it is Uh, i
1: I appreciate it yeah but i'm also a scientist who's had to take it repeatedly because i was not initially successful in calculus so my major actually only requires calculus one and the same is true for our biology Degree. Uh, I'm a I'm a marine science major with biology concentration. So our major is sort of like half based on the bio one, but not really. So the disposition I've been getting from a lot of my uh, of my peers in those majors is that calculus is something that they don't enjoy and something that they just need to get through so that they can graduate. Uh, And so that's why I was asking if you noticed a dispositional difference, because there is definitely that dispositional difference just based on my context, but it's also a vastly different context.
2: Yeah, I mean, and I also um, personally, I I took the honors calculus sequence, so I was sort of sorted with the people who sort of had some more basic um, either math aptitude or experience. Mm hmm. Also, the honors calculus sequence was actually easier than the regular calculus sequence at my school because that makes sense. Uh, but so my experience with calculus was a little bit different from like sort of quote unquote the mainstream um, at my Absolutely, university. but
1: that's why I think it's important to contextualize something like this because there are different dispositions coming out of this and the uh, way you experience it can change your experience as well. Definitely. What benefits do you think that honors calculus pathway had in that sense then?
2: Well, when I say that it was easier, I, I do mean like, I think genuinely it was easier to pass because it was uh, all, so there was like, you know, not as many sections. It was all taught by the same professor uh, and it was segregated from the main calculus pathway. So if you took regular calculus, you had, um, you know, you took the entire semester with your, whatever your professor, whatever your instructor was, And then at the end, um, the semester when you took the final, it was like a final that everybody, regardless of, of their instructor took the same final that was sort of like group written by all the different instructors. And I don't like that. Um, and it's a common in really big sort of classes. And I, and I think that it sort of ends up hurting you because different instructors, uh, prioritize different things
1: when they're, uh, when they're teaching Calculus 1. Yeah,
2: and so I didn't have to deal with that. Um, Also, I had a professor who liked to just tell us what was going to be on the exam. Sure. Um. (laughs) Uh,
1: No, I I definitely hear that qualm because uh, in the most recent iteration of Calculus 1 that I took, the professor just straight-up neglected to teach related rates until the end because why would you teach related rates before integrals?
2: Because it doesn't have anything to do with integrals?
1: Yeah. (laughs) I mean... I don't understand what the reasoning was there, but uh, he decided to teach us integrals before related rates. And I'm like, okay, I'm cool with this. I get integrals way more than I get related rates, but it's definitely a difference in priority, which led to a different performance in that section of calculus.
2: So I do think that some of that has to do with pedagogy. And then I mean, personally, I also took AP calculus in high school. I took AB, so it was just Calc 1. And then I retook Calc 1 in college because I wanted an easy class my first semester. (laughs) So sure. Um, so I mean, I definitely had a background in calculus going in. So
1: and you were uh, you were a chem major in college? Uh my first in year,
2: and my first year I was uh, an engineering major actually. Okay. So yeah, that's taking, uh, yes. that's another distinction yes. that we need to so make. Yeah. So I was clear. I was taking calculus as an engineering major. Yeah.
1: So that also uh, brings a sort of a different sort of internal motivation, which is sort of touched on in the paper. Tyler, do you want to speak on your own experience at all here? Uh,
0: yeah, I, I don't have a lot of extra commentary to add here because, yeah, I took Calc 1 in high school, so I can't really comment on like the disposition of people sure. in class or things of that nature. I do remember our undergrad had two different Calculus 1 classes, and that was Calc 1 for like all your science, technology, engineering, math pretty much anyone who was doing any sort of real math i think finance majors were in there too and then there was like business calculus which was just for the business majors which was weird yeah i don't really have any comments as far as the differences in the class because i just jumped straight into calc two i am the biggest supporter of calculus one uh in the world um i think that it's the most applicable math class uh after algebra because it's all based on rates of change and that's something that you actually do encounter in your everyday life even if you're not you know taking an integral or taking a derivative I mean, it's um, also
2: just a crash course in algebra. So, you know like yeah i mean that's what people's More like less, so in my yeah. school calc one was the most failed class at the university you didn't fail calculus you failed algebra while taking calculus because what happened is people didn't have yeah the sort of requisite algebra background
0: right the the word calculus i think is more scary it is than the class it really itself. is and yeah i think that that causes some you know, issues for people. That yeah, actually... I mean,
1: for me, a large motivational change came when I came to accept it as understanding rates of change as opposed to I need to take this dumb calculus class so I can finally move on with my life in science. Yeah. The introduction was basically Hey guys, young adults in general are interested in STEM, and calculus one moving into calculus two is a good metric of retention of interest in. STEM. That seems like a good overview, right?
2: Yeah. And they do sort of, one thing I like about the introduction is that they talk about, they outline that like there are, and sort of this is sort of speaks to figure one, but there are different points um, sort of in the lifetime of somebody who's going to end up working in STEM where uh, people sort of lose interest and leave or leave. and, And then they just choose to focus on, you know, sort of during college retention of being intending to be a stem major and if you actually complete it and calculus being a major bottleneck so i thought it was yeah. a they but they laid out all the numbers for where people leave based or you know interest i guess in stem based on uh, gender
1: yeah it's uh it's this really interesting figure figure one and it's two lines illustrating the difference in boys and young men interested in uh, STEM and science, as opposed to girls and young women interested in STEM and science. Uh, based on what Kelsey said, there are these, these different checkpoints, and uh, you see that the female slope is much steeper and starts lower. So,
0: yeah, I don't think this plot should be a uh, a smooth line graph. I think because these are basically yeah. bins right, on the x-axis, and I think that it's interesting there if you look at the biggest differential between uh, the male and female bends uh, points in any given bin. Is actually the twelfth grade interest in science? I thought that was kind of weird, because um, I thought based on the context in this paper that it would be between freshman and then graduate. And it makes me wonder what is causing that differential um, to be so big. I would assume it's something along the lines of like societal pressure, external factors. But well, there's also that
1: big transition between high school and college. Like College is a severely different um, environment than high school is, and you get into college by being a good high schooler, but being a good high schooler doesn't necessarily guarantee success in college. So there is that difference there, and I am not surprised that some individuals might be shocked by that difference, and that in turn might change their personal plans, but I definitely think it's a tangible factor, which shouldn't be neglected when reviewing that transition uh, in those two bins.
2: Because there is a steep drop off. So, the, according to this figure, in 12th grade, 59% of girls and 70% of boys are interested in science, but only 17% of women and 32% of men college freshmen intend to pursue a STEM major. So, in both men and women, there's a steep drop off between high school or 12th grade interest and uh, intention upon entering college. So that, yeah, you're right. That is sort of an interesting, uh, drop off there. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's really cool actually. Which I mean, it's, it's two different questions. You know, are you interested in science versus are you going to pursue it? Yeah. And you know,
2: because there's definitely a pressure like to major in something that is sort of viewed as economically viable. with Yeah. 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 And so I think that's why so many people want to be engineering majors and then don't end up pursuing engineering because if you're interested in science and math, you're not pushed towards science or math. You're pushed towards engineering um, because it's viewed as yeah, economically viable. Uh, which I mean, it is more economically viable than science. But uh, so that's there's something. Story. <laughs> yeah, there's something there though that uh, I think has to be. Yeah, you're right. It has to do with the way that the question was presented. All right,
1: let's talk a little bit more in depth about the methods section. Itself, They talk a lot about the way they just sort of gathered their data, um, which is elucidated in Table 1, I want to say. Yeah. Uh, so Table 1 is STEM participation, which is different from STEM interest, just sort
0: of. Do they define well, participation? Well,
2: so 4th grade interest in science, 12th grade interest in science. So that is presumably the question of, yeah. are you interested in science? And then yeah. once we get to college, it's enrollment and interest in STEM. In STEM programs, and then which makes
1: me ask why can't they? I guess it would be harder to quantify because twelfth grade doesn't really have majors, but you can check like enrollment. Because at twelfth grade, I was able to pick electives, and I was like, I'm gonna take two science classes.
2: Yeah, but that varies so greatly school to school. Like even high school. school, Like in my in in twelfth grade, like yeah, I could pick electives, but that was if I wanted to take band or if I wanted to take art, like. I didn't have extra science classes available to me. So
1: it's harder to provide a good baseline for something like enrollment.
2: Yeah. I mean, and also it should be noted that the authors of this paper did not do this survey. Yeah. So they're was, working with data that right. was done by the, the Mathematical Association of America. Uh, so they did sort of a long-term study uh, and survey of interest in and in, you know in math and and STEM. And so the authors of this study are just using that data.
1: Yeah, which I presume was provided by the third author. But
0: anyway. Yeah, I don't think this table is like bad inherently, but it is important to contextualize what we mean by participation in each particular. Uh, row because um, interest is very different. Absolutely. From and you see uh, that in uh, in okay. the undergraduate freshman enrollment. Right. And those percentages, it's very obvious that, um, yeah, those definitions are shifting, which I don't think it's a bad table, but it is important yeah. to keep that in it's mind. It's definitely an important note.
2: Yeah. I mean, also there's this What I find confusing, so in the first part of the table, so the very first entry is fourth grade enrollment, and the year is 1999, but then they go to fourth grade interest in science as a percent, and the year is 2005. That is so So (laughs) I don't quite under, and there are two different sources of that data.
1: Is the assumption there that fourth grade enrollment was more or less the same in 1999 as it would have been when the freshman in question would have been in fourth grade? Because so, 2005 okay, is so when 19, freshman in question so this, would have been in fourth grade. Actually, I so think.
2: this this works out because the year that they they did the survey is 2010, and that's the year I was a freshman in college. So I was in fourth grade in like 2001. Okay, so, so that's yeah. They're probably
1: of, using 99 as that proxy for 2001.
2: Yeah, so I think Which it kind of is works out. More oh, I mean, reasonable. The, the year they have listed as undergraduate freshman enrollment is 2009, so that is a little bit closer.
1: Yeah, and then maybe they just didn't have a good gauge for fourth grade interest in science until that year, or that was the only yeah. More There's just something to, weird about we need to look at the sources
2: <laughs> about the years that they have chosen in this table, but that's probably like beside the point. Yeah. Um,
1: it's like more or less, uh, it's more or less supposed to be like a class, a cohort, but it's not really. Yeah, it's like the pseudo representation of a cohort.
2: Yeah, because then they have undergraduate freshman enrollment 2009 versus bachelor's degree in STEM in 2012, and that doesn't quite. If you started assuming a four-year plan, if you started in 2009, you'd have graduated in 2013. But yeah. Regardless. So it's like it's like a
1: pseudo cohort. It's like a pseudo cohort.
2: Yeah, yeah. It
1: makes sense, but only vaguely, and only if you don't look too hard at the data. Yeah. Which is fine, like as, as you said, it's not the uh, it's not the primary two authors who collected this data. This was data that they had and are analyzing after the fact.
2: And I don't think that's like a fundamental flaw in this data either. It's more I don't just think a, it is either a, a point of interest.
1: It is a point of interest, and then here they go into the transition between Calculus 1 and Calculus 2, again, in a little bit of detail, where uh, they mention there are some individuals who had some intention of continuing along the STEM pathway, who did not intend to take Calc 2, and then did not intend to continue in the STEM pathway after the Calculus 1 class.
2: Because they do make the distinction between, yeah, like we talked before, STEM interested people who it wasn't their sort of primary major, or they were undecided and kind of testing it out versus having the intention of going into a STEM major. So
1: College is good for something like that.
2: Yeah, nothing wrong with being undecided.
1: To measure uh, preparedness, they talk about the SAT and the ACT, which I'm not sure is the best metric.
2: I don't necessarily think it's the best metric, but it might also be the only available metric.
1: That's very true. I just don't think it's the best.
2: (laughs) Actually, I do think it's interesting that they don't talk. So they talk about preparedness being measured by ACT and SAT math scores, but they don't really talk about um, AP right. as something like either experience or
1: because AP calculus data is something you could probably get fairly easily if you can get SAT ACT data.
2: Yeah, and it's very common now for particularly students, high school students interested in going into STEM to take as many AP uh, sort of courses as are available to them. So um, I, that was sort of. Interesting. I don't think it's
1: a flaw here. I think it's more something that the study could be improved with
2: yeah yeah uh-huh. because there's obviously a lot of like like what i did where people take a- ap calc one and then retake calc one when they get to college yeah. for either they didn't pass the test or they just you know or they did and they just want to retake it or whatever the reason is there's a lot of people with prior calculus experience
1: yeah and they have their own motivations for uh, for whatever way they're deciding to do uh college and calculus so yeah it's a thing. <laughs> but there's only
2: so many there's only so many variables that you can actually test with a survey like this. So.
1: Absolutely. And I think they did a good job of constraining the data for what they had. Yeah. Which is an important factor. It, it's an important distinction in something like this. Yeah. So, uh we're talking a little bit about uh about their methods, but we're also sort of going into results. As a result. Yeah. That's my one. Sorry, Tyler. <laughs> uh, I know I'm always harping on you about it, but yeah. that's my one.
0: I'll let it up. I'll let it slide. Uh, So in the results,
1: they're going more in depth on who's switching out of calculus and then trying to find some reason why. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
2: So the interesting thing here is that, so they basically identify two populations. Students, they call them remainers. I think they should have called them remainders, but you know, whatever. That's a math pun. Um, That's
1: your one.
0: Um, (laughs) uh, (laughs) So I'm the only one with one left? Uh,
2: Burn it on something good. Students who, I guess, are sort of in a way the control group who took Calc 1 and at the end enrolled in Calc 2, and then switchers, students who took Calc 1 and decided for whatever reason not to... Uh, remain in the calculus sequence yeah and then they looked at various factors that might lead to uh, students switching
1: and it's, it's what you do in results section you look at the you present the data that you have you talk about figure two uh, i do want to talk about figure two uh, so figure two is uh is the odds ratio for uh switching and it lays out a couple of different pathways uh and different odds of uh, either continuing in uh that stem pathway or uh deciding, maybe this isn't for me. And so they have that broken down a couple of different ways. You've got the female-male difference, uh, and then you've also got you've also got major difference. Uh, so they have undecided, non-STEM, pre-med, and engineering, which I think is a really good way of breaking it down, because uh, engineering and pre-med are both sort of packaged into the whole STM ideal, and they all have very different motivations for pursuing a quote-unquote, technical major.
2: And yeah. one thing that's interesting to me is that, so this this chart graph sort of breaks down, you have the odds ratio that might lead people to switch, and then but then sort of you have engineering is kind of the one of the different types of STEM majors that is actually you're less likely to switch out. Yeah, And this is where, I think I mentioned this before, but this is where I did have a question about... Yeah,
1: you mentioned it. Uh, you mentioned that, does
2: that just mean engineering? So engineering majors, are then they switching out of engineering, but staying in STEM? Or are they staying in engineering? Because that to me is like, it's probably not super important for this study, but it was something that was like, okay, it makes sense to me that engineering majors might then have a, a smaller chance of switching or of not taking Calc 2. Because um, if you don't want to do engineering, you probably still are interested in science and may stay in STEM, go from engineering to science or engineering to math, versus um, if you start as a science major, you're probably not going to switch into engineering. And this doesn't
1: have to do with the Calc 1 to Calc 2 transition, but you are uh, are an anecdotal example of someone who was in an engineering major and decided to switch to a science major. Mm
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think some of that has to do with like, there is something about the perception of like engineering as being maybe more math focused. Um, So maybe you're not feeling so great about your math skills. Well, you don't have to take quite as much in a science major often, unless you're in physics. And so you might stay in science and still take out two. You know, there's a lot of other factors here that they can't like deal with in this study. But I just what that was an aside, I guess.
1: Yeah, I think, I think it's a useful question to ask because it never hurts to ask questions of the data. It's yeah. just uh, something that's not necessarily addressable in this context.
2: Yeah, I mean, because, the, because of their choice of metric. Absolutely.
1: So. I find the standard test percentile dot over there really interesting where it's in the other part of the odds ratio, <laughs> the yeah. uh, purple indicating decreased likeliness. Because I qualified for calculus one in my freshman year, I had taken all of the, i had taken the requisite pre-calculus classes. I scored high on my SATs and ACTs, but I still had to take the class three times. I think it's more interesting from my perspective, from my perspective of things. And I think that also speaks more to predisposition as opposed to guarantees in your data, Mm -hmm. where individuals who had successful standardized test scores were less predisposed to switching out, but it is still a possibility.
2: Well, and so it is on the sort of left of the one marker here, and it qualifies. As but it's still very close because to one of marker. its confidence interval. But it's very, very close to one, so it, it is statistically significant. But it's also it's the sort of thing
1: where there's a in real life as opposed to in math and significance. Yeah. <laughs> like yes, it's st- it's significant when you're doing the math, but in real life, you're testing a different sort of practicality.
2: Yeah. So should we move on to figure three? I, I like figure three a lot.
1: So I do like figure three, yes. Uh, Kelsey, tell us about figure three.
2: So figure three is just, it's a graphical representation of sort of two hypothetical situations. So the probability of men versus women of switching out of calculus um, or of leaving sort of the STEM pipeline um, in the case that. In sort of student A, hypothetical student A has an average standardized math score, took high school calculus, is pursuing pursuing STEM, and sort of just took a standard calculus class. And in that case, women are, they say one and a half, in both cases, women are one and a half times more likely to switch out of calculus than men are, so... In the case that there's sort of a average sort of STEM intended student, or 16% of women switch out of calculus and uh, 12% of men switch out of calculus, whereas then in these sort of STEM interested students uh, who maybe didn't take high school calculus, who were pretty pursuing a non-STEM major, then 40% of women switch out of calculus and 30% of men switch out. So I, but it's sort of a graphical representation of that, that I think is very yeah. clear and makes it very clear that in both cases, um, women are significantly more likely to leave uh, the calculus sequence than men are.
1: Yeah. Uh, I also like the profiles that they wrote out for each of the students where you said, uh, and you briefly talked about it, where you've got sort of an average individual who's attempting the STEM se- the, the STEM major, and then somebody who's maybe not as inclined to. But I, I think it's a very realistic depiction of these two uh, these two sort of profiles. And I could totally believe a regular student who's like a who has a standard, roughly average standardized uh, test score for math, who took high school calculus, who's pursuing STEM, who uh, maybe doesn't have the best calculus instructor, but is trying their best to be engaged with that instructor, being far more successful in a calculus class uh, than an individual who sure probably scored the same on their ACTs as the other person, uh, but didn't take calculus in high school, is majoring in English or majoring in architecture, and has a theoretically better instructor, but uh, is just as engaged as the other student, maybe not being as successful. Like, the profiles make sense if you put them into a quote-unquote real context.
2: Yeah, and it, it shows how that they've how they've controlled their data. Um, so, how they've controlled for things like, you know, who took high school calculus, you know, what majors that their people are pursuing, you know, what their a standardized, their, you know, quote unquote math aptitude is based on their um, standardized. A test scores, so I think it a, does a good job of illustrating that, and showing that in both cases, women are more likely to leave calculus than men are.
1: Yeah, the data makes sense, and they're presented in a way that's easy to understand, and uh, it's very clear from this figure that women are ve- uh, are, are more likely to uh, to leave the calculus sequence than men. Yeah.
0: I appreciate their use of shapes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> they made, they made uh, men uh, hexagon and women pentagons, so... Uh, just to be clear, and then also there's woman and man put right next to it as well, just for it is absolute a very clarity. very clear
2: <laughs> figure.
1: But this is honestly a welcome change for uh, for figures.
0: Yeah, compared to the other papers yeah. we've looked at, You're
2: twenty page long figure one, uh, table one. So,
1: in table two, uh, which is on the next page, they have. Sort of uh, reasons that an individual would choose not to take calculus two.
2: And these are all self reported. So you, know, yes. you check a box for why you check box, yes or no. Cal- <laughs> yeah. And so these are all people who decided not to take calculus two. So yes. split into STEM intended and STEM interested. So yes. these are their self reported Which is still an important theory. distinction. Yeah. So what really jumps out here is that so in most cases, in both STEM intended and STEM interested, you have sort of similar numbers between men and women in terms of the percent of people who picked reasons, you know, reasons why that they why they chose not to take calculus two. And the only one where, you know, you have more than maybe a couple percentage point different in both cases is I do not believe I understand the ideas of calculus one well enough to take calculus two. Which is an interesting result. Yeah. In both cases for STEM intended and STEM interested, women picked that as their reason for not taking calculus to way more than men. You know, like 14% of men picked that, whereas 35% of STEM intended women picked that. And then it's like 20 to 32% in STEM interested. So there's that really sort of jumps out on. yeah
1: like everything else is within six percentage points everything else, and in most cases even less than six percentage points but this one is pretty much doubling on stem intending and then almost doubling on stem interested
2: so it really seems to suggest that women just don't have as high of a conception of their own mathematical abilities as men do absolutely regardless of whether they're good enough at st- at math going into Calc 1 to want to be in STEM.
1: And these are self-reported, so that is yeah. directly reflective of that self-perception of their own mathematical abilities. For me, that was sort of the big thing
0: for the study. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's definitely the punchline of the whole thing. Yeah. It's like that one line <laughs> on that table. Yeah,
2: I mean, and to me, like, it makes sense. Like, it, it tracks sort of anecdotally, just based on the fact that women and girls are told that we're not... As good at naturally as good at math, even though you know, study after study has shown that there's no significant difference in math ability between men and women. Um,
1: but that does change how you view your own abilities.
2: Yeah, and then there's just like those studies mm-hmm. about how if you going into a standardized math test, if you tell, you know, the group that men are can generally do better on math, be, math this particular math test because they're just better at math, then women will won't the men will do just as well as they would regardless but the women won't do as well yeah and so you have lots of study like studies like that where it just shows that sort of women have been primed in our society to not be as confident um and and in their mathematical abilities and that sort of reflects in test scores and that's honestly a horrible thing (laughs) yeah patriarchy
0: yeah, this paper does specifically say, yeah, the meta-analysis involved all studies comparing mathematical performance, achievement, or ability in algebra, calculus, or geometry by gender from 1990 to 2007, and it concludes that gender is not a strong predictor of mathematics. Absolutely,
1: this paper. Uh,
0: but yet, you still yeah, have this paper
1: math. also takes an entire subsection to uh, to elucidate that change in confidence uh, in gender disparity is a thing. Uh, Which is definitely affecting this data. Mm -hmm. Yeah, in all
2: cases that they looked at, STEM intended, STEM interested, persisters and swishers, like women are just less confident both at the beginning of the course and at the end of the course. They're less confident in their math abilities than men are.
1: It's just an unfortunate, unfortunate thing. And we really need to change that in our society. Like I've, I've had lots of private discussions with my mother and my mother is a point is she's a working engineer and she tells me that she still, still has nightmares about calculus one like oh, when yeah. i was taking calculus one she was mm-hmm. like yeah no i don't blame you for not doing as well in this class because this is the only class i could never get and i'm like really you are an actual engineer
3: this mm-hmm. is yeah
2: no like my mom's a nurse so she had to take you know and that's a healthcare field so she had to take uh i think a lot of math and science courses and she's like oh yeah i chemistry was easy organic chemistry was easy it was pre-calc and calculus that killed me yeah it's like you know obviously you're good at this it's not like you can't do it so
1: we could also have an entire discussion on organic chemistry but we won't for the interest of time <laughs> <Didn't say that. laughs> but yeah. it's it's another thing which is similar to this where chemistry organic chemistry can be viewed as a weed out course
2: and oh, that definitely. has its own
1: I have, uh, I have lots of thoughts it. and
2: feelings about that, but that's the discussion. For uh, let's time. talk about it, just
1: not right now. <laughs>
2: yeah <laughs> um.
1: And then the discussion's actually pretty short. Um, and really the big takeaway is that there are more women who would graduate with STEM degrees and move on to enter that STEM workforce if there were that difference in self-perceived math- mathematical ability.
2: Yeah, and I mean, it's it's not insignificant, too, based on their, you know, sort of, if you just follow sort of the linear progression of, of women who sort of go from taking calc cal- in college to entering the STEM workforce, it's been increase from 25% of the STEM workforce are women to 37%. So that's not, you know, an insignificant number when we're talking about trying to Get closer to parity, as well as trying to increase certain the number of STEM graduates.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Although this whole question of needing more STEM graduates because we have an apparent shortage, and my question is, okay, how, how come no one can get a job?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I I think those are separate issues. Yeah. Because uh, it's it's admirable to want parity in the broader field in general, and I think it's definitely something we can make tangible changes to work towards. But your
2: question is still valid. I mean and, and I don't know what I'm about, gonna do once I graduate. <laughs> yeah, and, and the thing about the the thing about the leaky pipeline, is that there's leaks along it at every level. Yeah. So yes, we need to get more young girls interested in science and create a uh, an environment where they're allowed to be interested side in, persist in to interest. And then also we need to figure out a way to keep women from dropping STEM majors because they don't think they're good at it. And we need to figure out a way to have more tenure track hires be women, you know, there's like so many different elements to it, you know, and we need to sort of look at and try to solve every, every aspect of it. I mean, and some of it is just, you know, living in a patriarchal society and, and, yeah. and just, just sort of the way that we view various fields. Um, Absolutely. And that is something that I found a little bit frustrating about this paper is that they talk about, you know, women in STEM and and they try to get out some of the reasons women are leaving STEM and they never use the word sexism. They never, you know, like there's, there's an implication. And I think that's sort of generally in the way that we talk about, like when we actually do studies about it, like you never hear people just talking about sexism being a reason and like it's implied, but they never state it and i think that's important we have to talk about it the way that it is
1: right because a lot of a fair amount of what's going on here is internalized misogyny right
2: yeah internalized
0: the question yeah the question is where where does that sexism i guess originate and where do you see it most prevalent because you can see these graphs trending down as it goes on but i don't know if there's a yeah it doesn't look like well, there's well, any well, point where it yeah, even all throughout. starts
1: and i think that speaks more yeah. to
0: what kelsey was saying earlier
1: where it is a patriarchal society yeah. and there are several factors within this world we exist in that do not favor yeah. for women in stem but
2: like to, to- you know get into the metaphor a little bit more like i do think that it is something that was prevalent you know even though sort of throughout and it is just one of those things that like so we talked about the leaky pipeline as well so the sexism is the corrosive force that is causing the leaks um you know, you know and it's at various points throughout it's, i think uh, and it's not yeah. once
1: it's not enough once you get into the building because there's still leaks inside the building
2: yeah, and I guess, kind of once you get into, you know, graduate program, because then, you know, not you have to deal with, you know, sexism, you have to deal with harassment, you have to deal with, you know, all those, you know, imposter syndrome being much more prominent in women than it is in men, and uh, um, all these issues, and then once you get your PhD, now you have to deal with hiring, and you have to deal with all, all these other things, so it, it is, like, we see this as this downward trend, and I do think that uh, I would ever point along it, you know, You know the patriarchy and the sexism play uh, a significant role in that, uh, but maybe from different ways at different points. So it's functioning differently when we're talking about interest in science as a child than it is. It's interesting in science and high school as it is that, you know, in enrollment in STEM programs as it is, yeah. as, you, know, as, you know, as, you know, when you're actually getting jobs in, in STEM, yeah. so...
1: Lots of bigger factors going on here that the study really doesn't seem to want to implicate, but they're definitely there. Like, yeah, and so definitely, definitely there.
2: some of, it is, that, there. <laughs> some of <laughs> it is that if you say that, you know, if you explicitly say, well, this is because of sexism, then you maybe you're going to take it more seriously as, like, yeah.
3: you know, it, it,
1: and it's like i get that but <laughs>
2: so it's just its own issue <laughs>
1: God we yeah it's, it's for it, it is its own issue uh,
2: um so, so but like it's definitely a thing that's happening here yeah
1: anyway um should we should we review this paper yeah
2: yes, i think so okay
3: I
1: so
0: like anything you want
2: to add
0: tyler uh no not really i mentioned before we started recording but i'm kind of the antithesis of what this paper is trying to go for i'm a typical white male so i feel like your comments are much more pertinent than mine i'm just here to listen and learn i guess you know
1: so did you find this to be a learning experience
0: because i think that's an
1: important question
0: not entirely in the fact that i was already pretty aware of it um just by like looking around me you know Um, because physics is such like a hard science i look around is it a boys club it's so yeah it's such a boys club uh like It's terrible, and yeah, it's something that I was already pretty aware of. I hadn't put actual numbers to it, and I still don't think I have strong numbers. This is just at one point in this pipeline, but it is illuminating to get some sort of um, context to something that I already
1: observed. Sure, so it was some validation of something you already anecdotally knew. I don't think that's nothing. True, yeah.
2: Yeah, I mean, and there's also the issue of, and this is sort of an aside, but the issue of the perception of so, you know, hard versus soft sciences, the way that, yes. you know, biology is cons- in terms of physics, chemistry, biology, biology is considered sort of the least quantitative, the least hard science. It's also the science, the field that has the most women versus physics, which is the field that has the most men. And so you've kind of got this this other issue of, of perceptions of fields based on and it's certainly not the only factor, but, you know based on sort of the uh, gender split within them. So, I mean, my, my, you know, I'm in a biology graduate program. My cohort has more women than men. Um, And that's not necessarily unusual in, in bio. So, you know, it's certainly... Uh, something worth considering.
0: I'm not sure where I read this, but I think the same is true in, uh, in oceanography. Yeah, I'll throw in my anecdote of populations in my grad program. Uh, probably right now, it would be like 5% female, mm. and that might be generous. And we have one female faculty. And I don't think, so thinking back to my undergrad, it was a little bit more than that, but that's because my physics program was tied in with an engineering program, um, as well. So we had both students, both types of students in every class. I think that was closer to 10 to 15% with no female faculty. Yeah, none. I mean, it's been something that I've observed for my whole time in academia. So to put numbers with it, where you guys are talking about how there's close to parity in biology, the physics that is the opposite of true. And it's and definitely And then even a huge in
2: biology, problem. once you get into like the sort of sub fields of biology that are sort of more quote unquote, quantitative, you get much fewer women, like I work in biophysics. And I mean, it's very unusual. My lab, I have a female PI, there's more women than men in my lab, but that's very, very unusual. In sort of in, you know, you go to a biology conference, and it's near parity, and then you get over to the sections that are, you know, sort of more biophysical, and then it's all men. So you definitely sort of even within biology, see that split
1: yeah, I think we got some uh, some great discussion there. Yeah. It it got heavy, but I think it was important. So, yeah. so let's talk about grading this paper. <laughs> so title and abstract. This is pass-fail.
2: They pass.
0: pass. Good job. Yeah. I have no yeah. qualms with any of it. Good job. Yeah. Consider more diacritical marks. Um, <laughs> Should we consider more diacriticals?
2: Um, I liked the introduction of this paper a lot. Um, I thought it did a good job of sort of digging into the relevant... Issues. I'd probably give it, like, an A. Yeah,
1: I, I agree with that. Solid A. Um, yeah. Did a great job of providing necessary context.
0: Yeah, one thing uh, that this paper did that I don't know if any that we've reviewed so far has done, uh, that it added a figure in the introduction that helped understand the context. I guess the one paper did with the huge... Uh...
1: Right, the, um, that um, paper yeah. didn't paper necessarily did that,
0: help but this is...
1: explain the context, because it was hard <laughs> to... <laughs> It was, it was hard that to useful. look at this let alone interpret was
0: incredibly useful. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. This one was incredibly useful for understanding the context of what yes. we're looking at. So, yeah. Uh so yeah, a, cool. I'll give it an a. Hey guys,
1: that's the that's the first A tyler's given.
0: <laughs> oh wow, were you yeah. keeping a tally? <laughs> I kind of was. A tally of zero, yeah. Okay. Uh, so
1: let's uh, let's talk about the methods. We talked about how the methods were robust for the data they had uh, in the actual thing, but what do you guys mm-hmm. think of it uh, letter grade-wise?
2: I thought it was good. I, I think it was definitely constrained by the what they had available, but I think they picked a really interesting diagnostic of retention in this sort of calc 1 to calc 2 transition. I thought they did a good job in their methods. I'd probably give it like, I don't know, like an A-. Yeah,
1: I'd say B plus A minus. Uh, because I understand there are limitations uh, and I'm sure the limitations are what's causing the slight things that I don't like about the data set but I don't want to completely fault the study for that so B plus A minus that range because I didn't like the flaws that were there but I understand why they had to
0: be yeah Yeah. again we're restricted by it being more of like a data aggregation study than it is a uh, it did a better job I feel like Actually, this did a better uh, job than the other data aggregation uh, yeah. study we looked at, though. Certainly, it did a much better job. I was going to give it a B+, um, because it did well with what it had. I thought the table in that section, Table 1, uh, the STEM participation by gender, um, was not the most clear it could have been, but it was decent. So that's the only place yep. really not. Table 1?
1: Yeah, yeah that no, confusing, I completely the confusing year
2: issue.
3: Yeah,
1: Yeah. cool. Uh, so Results. Uh, where they talked about the transition between Calc 1 and Calc 2, and the big takeaway, which was, I do not believe that I understand the ideas of Calculus 1 well enough to take Calculus 2 being reported significantly more uh, in the female sample population
2: yeah I think this is really the meat of this paper you know some papers like really uh, kind of do a lot of the analysis in this discussion and this paper really does it in the results and I really liked it I thought it was clearly presented I thought they did a good job of dealing with the various things that they found and the various you know obviously there's their one sort of important result but the various results on um, they explain them well I liked the graphs yeah again I probably give this an A. I I I really liked this paper, so.
1: I completely agree. Yeah. Um I also give this an A. Uh this was very clear. I enjoyed the um I enjoyed the subsection breakdowns and I th- thought it did a good job of taking it step by step and showing typical examples and then a specific
0: reason and trying to pinpoint underlying reasons for that
1: big reason. Yeah.
0: Um so The only qualm I had with this section, um, and I know you guys were kind of over the moon about, uh, was it Figure Three? Yeah, the one where it was uh, the hexagon and the. uh, Uh, I'm sorry, you were over the moon about that. No, I was over the moon about the shapes. You guys were over the moon about. (laughs) I was over the moon about
1: the text on the figure.
0: Um, (laughs) Yeah, so my thoughts on that figure were kind of that it. I just thought it was kind of strange because it outlines these two hypothetical scenarios when really you've got so many more hypothetical scenarios that exist. Um, and so I thought it was kind of a weird pull out of the data. Um, so other than that, I liked the section. Um, I just thought that that was odd. Um, so I'm going with a B plus. Yeah, just that's more
1: thing. than understandable.
0: That's because fair. Because
1: well, uh, your <laughs> criticism of this is, ex- is also um, an inherent flaw in why I like it. Cause I liked it because, it was, it provided a, a hypothetical example, uh, while you, your concern seems to be, uh, there could be further, uh, further confound, further things confounding these, uh, these findings, even between each of those variables.
2: And t- right. To me, when I, when I look yeah. at the, the hypotheticals that it provides it's what it's what it's doing is actually providing a rundown of how they've controlled their data. Yeah. Um, so to me, when you're constructing these hypotheticals, it's actually a way of explaining in a sense what it means to control for level of calculus taken and major and you know interest by constructing these hypothetical students. Um, yeah. However, I can see why that is a, kind of a, an odd way of doing it. Yeah.
1: Making anecdotal sense is not the same as making quantitative sense. Yeah, I phrased this earlier, but yeah, I, I can understand that they aren't equivalent means of of it. So I think that's a fair criticism, even if it's something that Kelsey and I enjoyed. <laughs> so discussion. Uh, this one was actually a very short discussion section where they just sort of brought it all home and had a, had the projection of something that could happen if if a certain number more women persisted in
0: that calculus one to calculus two transition. Right. Basically, it just explained like if this were not so here's what would here's happen. a yeah here's a potential what would happen
2: this is the one part of this paper that to me felt like they were just checking a box yeah this is the one part where i felt yeah. like and it's two paragraph you know discussion and it very much felt like they just needed to have a discussion section and part of that is that they do a lot of the work that a discussion section normally does in their results which is why a lot of papers these days have a combined results and discussion section I um, mean it works very well for this paper but uh Yeah, so I, the discussion just felt very much like, yeah, this is what we did. Here's a one, one thing that we extrapolated out, but it doesn't really, to me, provide very much analysis. So, I mean, I'm, would probably give their discussion like a mid to low B just because it really kind of, I was expecting to get to the discussion of this paper and really have it hit home with, you know, the issues that they're dealing with and then it just didn't. So it's probably like a B minus.
1: Yeah, I'm giving it a B, and I'm going to fault the uh, just sort of traditional way you write a scientific paper for that, because uh, there are a lot of scientific papers which are written, which could be written better if they didn't have to follow the traditional this is how you write a scientific paper, there are these sections. And that, work, that structure does work very well for a lot of papers, but this is a paper that would have benefited more from that combined uh, results and discussion section that you mentioned, which is a... Uh, which is a variation on the model. And I think this is just, I don't, does, do you recall offhand having seen any plus one papers that have had combined discussion results? I want to say yes, but I'm not sure.
2: Yeah, I don't know. I haven't read, I mean, I haven't paid that much attention to sort of their formatting.
1: Yeah, because it could be, uh, it could be something that's up to journal editing itself, but I don't think, it is the author's fault that this is here. I do not agree that it is a box check, but I think um, they've already done most of their discussion work, so it doesn't need to do much more.
2: Yeah, I just felt like there could have been a deeper analysis. Um, that, sure, that's you fair. Know, maybe didn't need to be so based on what they actually found. Sort of trying to get at some of the issues why this is, you know, um, that is what I expect from a good discussion section. That just wasn't there.
1: Yeah, I just, yeah, I, I, I completely understand. It's just also structure
0: and
2: yeah.
1: it's not something you can always
0: yeah. control. So, yeah, I would give it a B minus as well, just for the sake that it does read like you're checking off a box that so you have the section i do understand why it's short like these types of studies i don't there's a lot of things going on and a lot of outside variables that you can't exactly control and i feel like the way i read it read like they don't want to make any assertions that they cannot make and so it was just kind of there to be there but this would be where they would make those if they could and so it felt empty because of that because it felt like they were leading towards this direction but they couldn't quite make any of those claims because i guess the study is kind of focused on you know one pinpoint and that's pinpoint, reasonable you know
2: and and again, I think that some of this is also constrained by the fact that your authors are a mathematician and a statistician. So, yeah.
1: so they can't necessarily make those grander claims about, yeah. about these societal factors.
2: So, you know, even though maybe this is their focus, they're not quite, you know, they're not sociologists of education. This isn't some of the stuff that they necessarily deal with all the time. They're more focused on like Actually, finding the data, you know, coming up with the result, than with interpreting it in sort of a larger societal scale, and again, maybe, you know, calling up that sociologist. You know, at their university, yeah. might have been beneficial. And at the same time,
1: I'm not sure we would have been happy yeah. had they de- had they made those claims anyway, because we had a similar issue in the uh, twin study paper where they did begin to make those societal claims, but we didn't believe that they had the requisite grounding in those grander yeah, societal yeah. claims. I mean, uh, so it's it's yes, we understand. Yeah, no, it's we. Def- I definitely agree with that assertion that maybe they should have called a sociologist, but I also appreciate they didn't make claims towards that direction mm-hmm. uh, without having had called one.
2: Yeah. That's fair. I just, you know, want more more interdisciplinary uh, collaborations in these types of studies.
1: Yeah. Uh, we are running kind of long, but I do want to introduce a new section before we get into our uh, high note endings, uh, and it's called Sensationalize That Article. If you're on the internet in general, sometimes you'll see a cool science headline. And you'll be tempted to click it just because somebody on BuzzFeed has a really cool
0: hot take on it. So uh,
1: if you wanted to publicize this article to the masses, what would your headline be?
0: I feel like you have to throw mathematical leakage <laughs> in there somehow, because I feel like that's going to generate some clicks. Um... Is that your one? That's probably my one. Uh, I don't know. Come back. Okay. I should have thought about this ahead of time since you I... You definitely saw those. this coming, too. It's not... I thought we were going to talk about it later, uh, but okay.
2: Girls hate science because they don't think they're good at math.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's something that I would probably actually see posted by, like, an old person on yeah. Facebook. Okay, though.
1: here's mine. From The Onion, girls told they're bad at math, leave math. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. That's just true, though. Um, yeah, I mean, it's what I, happened. It, it was, was a finding. Yeah. This yeah. paper is, like, a little bit hard to completely sensationalize because, you know, you yeah. can't get too... Because they are, you know, making this sort of bold claim and they're supporting it in the paper, so it's hard to get too far off into the weeds. Uh,
1: but I think that speaks to the fact that you don't need to sit, actually sensationalize every piece. Yeah,
2: sometimes. Not everything Ooh. needs to be clickbait. Some things just are.
0: Yeah, Tyler had a Tyler had a thought. Maybe you could totally uh, misconstrue every part of this and say something along the lines of like, "Is math actually hard, or are girls just incompetent?" <laughs> because like it's awful. It more or less it's terrible. But if you misconstrue and take the context out of all of it, you can do that. And that is something that someone would put on the internet to generate yeah, I clicks. That is, I
2: yeah. can see that. Math not hard. Girls just bad at it. <laughs> girls just think they just think it is. <laughs> oh, that's it. Math isn't actually difficult. Girls just think it is.
1: Yeah, <laughs> this guy this section got yeah, edgy. Let's I go to the higher. <laughs> <end work.
2: laughs>
1: <laughs> Too edgy for me. This is my fault. I'm sorry. <laughs> Whatever. I can say it. <laughs> Best thing that taking math ever taught you.
2: Oh man, I feel like I just need to talk about my. Uh, High school calculus teacher, who was a nun, who uh, would tell us stories about how she was a bartender before she became a nun. Wait, uh, what? Yeah.
1: <laughs> Is this like motorcycle pope?
2: <laughs> no, I mean, it's true. She was a she was a bartender, and then. Uh, no, that's what I'm saying. Like, became, like a, yeah. the current
1: pope just like rode around on motorcycles and was a bouncer and stuff. Yeah, I
2: mean Sister Mary Kay. She was she was great. Uh, she taught me calculus. All right.
1: <laughs> That's sufficient. Thank you.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, coolest thing math's ever taught me. So I'll just plug one of my favorite books here. Uh, so there's this author, and I think she does, like, uh, she does, like, math and science, uh, like, publicity stuff. Her name's uh, Jennifer Alette or something along those lines. Uh, and she did a book called The Calculus Diaries, um, and let me look up the um, end of that title. Um, basically, the idea here is that you can... How math can help you
1: lose weight when in Vegas and... Survive
0: the zombie apocalypse. Uh, yes. Basically, it's emphasizing how you can use uh, calculus to model all these rates of change things. Um, and I just always think that that's a funny title and a fun approach to math and also interesting that you can model these very real scenarios using calculus.
1: Yeah, math taught me how to survive a zombie apocalypse by staying out of Fresno. Okay, good night. Let's go let's go plug our stuff.
2: I'm a I'm a biologist. I'm gonna cause the zombie apocalypse, not survive it. (laughs)
1: Let's plug our stuff. Uh thanks for listening to Expert Citation. Uh you can follow the show on Twitter at Expert Citation, on Tumblr at expertcitation.tumblr.com on WordPress at expertcitation.wordpress.com uh, Hey, if you have a cool story and you want to just hit us up or if you want to just talk to us in general you can email us at expertcitation at gmail.com
0: We also do individual social stuff uh, Yeah, you can find me at most platforms at Tyler J. Birch, spelled B-U-R-C-H um, and my SoundCloud will be plugged at the end of the show.
2: And you can find me on Tumblr at Adventures in Chemistry and uh, pretty much everywhere else Twitter uh, and Instagram at ADVS in Chem, the abbreviated version of that. And oh, if you want to read the papers that we talk about, um, I post all of the papers to our Tumblr to the expert citation tumblr so that's where you can find links to every single paper that we talk about um as well as um other related uh content
1: and dank memes
2: yes and dank
1: memes. hashtag team killer whale <laughs> boy. uh yeah we also uh, i also try to link the papers on the wordpress and i usually provide a link there as well So uh, go to the Tumblr, go to the WordPress. You'll be able to read what we're talking about. Uh, Hi, I'm Joe Quavis. Find me on the internet at Joe M. Cuevas. Uh, Yeah, Uh, until next time, hope you enjoyed experts Oh, right, Uh, reviews. Uh, Leave, you might be listening to this on your favorite podcatcher. If you are, please leave a five-star review uh, because it'll help us with discoverability, help more people discover the show. But nobody reads the reviews except Kelsey. So let's leave Kelsey uh, what... What do you want them to leave you related to this episode?
2: I think that, so I noticed I was uh, on the iTunes page and I noticed that you put Go Sharks in our official podcast description, so I think yeah. that they should uh, go leave a comment with their favorite uh, hockey and or sports team, provided it is not the Blackhawks because they are the worst.
0: Let's go boo <laughs> So,
2: yeah. <laughs> but nobody's left us a review yet on iTunes and I'm very sad, so.
1: We'll probably read them on here. I, mean, I didn't. Yeah. I left one yesterday. Yeah, but nobody reads Tyler's reviews. That's fair. Uh, so yeah, cool. Until next time, uh, this has been Expert Citation. Uh, I'm Joe, and bye. I guess we don't have an ending for the show. We don't really have a formal ending. It's usually just us talking Doozies. until like the music fades out or we stop talking. <laughs> like that's actually how it goes, yeah. right, Tyler? Yeah.
3: Yeah. You yeah, listen basically. to the show.
1: Kelsey's listening to the show. We've all oh, listened to the listened. show. This the
2: show I have literally not listened to the show. <laughs> this
1: is actually how the show ends on the feed. Like, it's just, just wow. fading into Tyler playing uh, playing indie jazz, and then... Uh, I've and then,
2: making a stinger for, like, the end, but I haven't actually done it, so...
1: And then this happens. Expert Citation is hosted by Joe Cuevas, Kelsey McCoy, and Tyler Birch. Expert Citation is also produced by Joe Cuevas. Our opening and closing music was also provided by Tyler Birch. Find more of his music at soundcloud.com forward slash Tyler-James-4693 Expert Citation is a production of the IamKuhan.com network. More great podcasts at IamKuhan.com